I even got some notes prepared for that. Hubert, I... good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gerardo Polly. And this, oh, sorry. One of the best bits of advice I've ever received was to find good mentors and to learn from them. Trusted people who have already done what you're trying to do now. I've been fortunate throughout my career to have some fantastic mentors to help guide me, but I realized that they'd be hard to find and also hard to commit the time to one. This is why we've gathered some of the best minds from the veterinary world and squeezed them for their wisdom so that you don't have to learn the hard way. With the help of our guests, we flip the veterinary profession on its back and explore its soft underbelly to find the tips, tools, and inspiration that you'll need to build the career that you've always wanted. I'm Gerardo Poli. I'm Hubert Hemstra, and this is The Vet Vault. Dr. Rob Webster is an emergency and critical care specialist and one of the founding members of Animal Emergency Australia a group of emergency hospitals in Queensland and Western Australia. He has played a major role in the training and mentoring of large numbers of vets and vet nurses, inspiring them with his boundless energy and infectious enthusiasm. We pinned him down in his garden in far northern Queensland, as evidenced by the constant background noise of all manner of parrot and lorikeet, to see if we could extract some of that wisdom for our own good and for yours. And he did not disappoint. We covered some valuable ground, such as how he approaches challenges in the face of fear and uncertainty, despite feeling completely overwhelmed. He gives us his views on charting a career path, on whether to specialize or not, and even gives us a few study tips and tells us what he thinks one of the best things is that you can commit your time to, and on why you should always listen to your mother. So please join us in this fascinating conversation with Dr. Rob and be inspired. And I, I'm going to start with, with my version of, of Rob. Um, I met Rob at a, at a congress two, three years ago now, Rob. Um, and what strikes you immediately about Rob is just general enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. I've never met anybody who's more enthusiastic about the, the veterinary profession and just life in general and just an infectious enthusiasm when you, when you talk to Rob. Um, and it immediately started telling me a couple of stories and interesting stories. But what I'd like to know, Rob, is that your journey to becoming Rob Webster, uh, Rob Webster 2018, uh, <laughs> moving, from, moving from young Australian lad to where you are today. Just If you could give us a bit of a rundown of, of how it all happened. Yeah, thanks, Hubert. And it's look, it's a long story, so I'll try and abridge it the the things that i was lucky enough to find in my in my career that have really made it fulfilling for me uh was first of all emergency medicine uh i i walked into that one not not really expecting it i um graduated from university just wanting to do a gdv and from there i i you know after a couple of years i'd done a few and the enthusiasm never wanes for for those sorts of big um scary cases and trying to make a real difference to to patients that go home uh, so, so finding emergency medicine was the first thing. The second thing was being able to uh, develop expertise in that in that field that I really uh, thrive on. So, uh, I was able to work with a group of specialists and then uh, sit membership and eventually fellowship, and being able to understand 
exactly why I do what I do um, physiologically has, has really um, given me confidence and, and helped me um, really uh, feel that I'm learning and, and, and making a difference in that field. And finally, business ownership. And I was trying to think why business ownership's been so important for me. And I really think it comes down to the... Um, the degree of challenge, you know, you never get good at it. You, um, you know, what, what something goes well today, tomorrow you go two steps backwards and there's a new challenge that you never expected. And and it's an absolute roller coaster. but because of that, you, you get challenged every single day, every single week. And so you can never become bored and you can never master it. And I think those three things, um, have, have come together to, to make my career, you know, personally really fulfilling so far. I, I want to jump straight into the physiologically why you do it. Are, are you happy to share why, why, why do you do it? Yeah. Um, now, that, that's two levels. What I meant by physiologically why I do it is, you know, I, I did emergency medicine for several years and, you know, I knew exactly what to do. You know, for GDV surgery, there's a, a recipe, right? You, the patient comes in, you resus them, you mm. give them some fluids, mm. put a stomach tube down them. Um, but when I, what I mean by physiologically is when I got into fellowship training and actually studied the, the physiology of the body systems and went back to those lectures that I was drunk in or, or sleeping through in university, <laughs> um, you know, the, um, how the um, uh, renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system works, uh, how cardiac physiology works, how respiratory physiology works. And actually realizing, you know, why I did those interventions, you know, I, I'm going to uh, give this patient fruzamide um, for its diuretic effect and its bronchodilator effect and all, all of those sorts of things. And it really helped remove some of the uncertainty and the worry that I was doing either too much or too little for each patient. Okay. And so, so, that, so that's, I meant physiologically for the, for the patient okay. more so than my, myself. Okay. So, uh, psych- so psychologically, why do, why do you do, why did you do vet? Why do you do vet? What motivates you? Yeah. I, well, the, I, I started, I got the idea of doing vet. Um, my mum one day pulled out uh, in grade 10 said, look, you can do, there are three things I think you could look at doing in at university. Uh, one is forestry, uh, one is agricultural science, and one is vet science. And she's like, I don't think you're going to get the marks to get into vet. So I think you should really look at ag. And uh, of course, I'm like, no, stuff you mum, I'm doing vet. Um, but when, when I really think it back, it, it had already, the, the idea had already formed. Um, I'm uh, sitting at home now in the in the house I grew up in, I, I bought it, and, and it's really important to live here. But I um, remember seeing my first dog that I'd bonded with, Tig, um, die of heartworm disease here in the in the front yard where I'm sitting. And I think it was actually the the powerful impression that left on me of um, a kind of suffering that um, you know when Mum presented those three different career options, vet was really the only one I ever thought about. That's cool. Mm. You, you mentioned there, uh, or Hubert brought up physiologically, but you, you sometimes refer to this, the, the term, the buzz. And when you said physiologically, I, I, my, my, my instinct first was to actually think of the buzz associated with emergency. Is that, is that something or like, is that something you can explain to, to yeah. listeners what the buzz means for you? Yeah, that, absolutely. And I think that's, I, I understand that's what Hubert was, um, 
was getting at when he asked the question. Mm. And it was something, uh, and I think I go back to my experience in fifth year um, vet science as a student. Uh, I was all set to go and be a cow vet, you know, in, in vet school, doing large animal medicine was always cool. Well, it was at UQ, you know, you had to wear your boots and listen to country music and, and you know, grinding cow's feet with the angle grinder. It, that was where it was at. And I, I had to do, but you had to do this um, two nights in the emergency center and it was a little emergency center in Bowen Hills. And I, I walked in, I was late. Um, I wasn't really that excited about it. And I, um, I met up with a young, um, a young vet who was a bit of a show off and his name was Simon Lemin, who was, who was working that night. And we saw one night, we saw a pericardial effusion, a, um, a GDV, and a, a dog with um, a dilated cardiomyopathy. And I remember these cases run, coming in, um, needing to do a, you know, a, a really um, important intervention in each of those three cases to keep them alive. And the um, sense of um, urgency, the, um, you know, the, the big decision-making, the risk-taking, all those things appealed to me and I, um, I stayed the whole shift, slept through the next day of university classes and, and that was it for me. That, that's when I realised that there was, there was no other career path and it's something about that little, I think this is a job for adrenaline junkies, emergency medicine. I, I see, you know, Gerardo and, and Hubert, you as well, in, interviewing me and you're, all, you're both people that kind of want to, um, want to challenge yourselves. And I think that's what the buzz is in emergency medicine is no matter what the, the situation, you're always throwing down the gauntlet and, you know, and trying to, to try to rise to the occasion. You're trying to do something difficult every single day. And, and I think that's what um, keeps me coming back for more. That's hmm. a, that, that first shift uh, <laughs> or that, that, that story you just uh, tell, I mean, that could put a lot of people off it completely as, as well. <laughs> it's, um, to, to, to self, I must admit, you, 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 when you, you include me, um, in, in, in this group of people who, who thrive on that, but it took me a long time. I, I think if I was a, when I was a new grad, if I had a shift like that, whew, that would have taken me months to recover <laughs> emotionally from it. Um, do you think your, your attraction or ability to cope with that is, is that an inherent personality trait or do you have, do you have thought processes or do you have tricks and tips of, of how to deal with a stressful situation like that, how to deal with, with the, the crazy emergency situation and the fear and the self doubt, or, or do you just do it naturally? There's, uh, there, there's gotta be a natural, there's gotta be some natural aptitude. You know, there's something about me that when I'm faced with a, a difficult situation, I, I have an urge to master it and get better at it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and apart, as well as that, I don't have a high regard for rules and I'm a bit of a risk taker. And I, and I think, I think those, those kind of elements of personality, there's something that I see uh, across a lot of the colleagues that I work with that thrive in emergency because in emergency, you do have to be prepared to make a decision with, without a lot of information and sometimes where there is no, um, no rules. And my mentor, uh, Professor Steve Haskins used to always say, um, when death is the alternative, there are no rules. Yeah. And that was, you know, and he, he's one of the founding fathers of this, of this um, discipline. 
and and what he said is completely true. So there's definitely some nat- natural aptitude. Uh, but what I what I discovered in about fourth year of university, again, my my mum, I, I feel a little bit odd to be talking about my mum all the time, but they're they're very wise mothers, and she um, had been telling me, you know, since I was a little kid, you get out of things what you put into them, and I, I didn't really realise that until about fourth year university when I realised that I, I wanted to become a vet and I needed to put in uh, a hell of a lot of effort. Um, to do that and and since that time what I've done is every time I'm faced with the challenges I try and hit it with a hundred percent effort and I think that um, throwing yourself into the challenge is what gives you the fulfillment when you when you're on that journey through the through the time Uh, knowing that you're you're trying hard and you're not holding anything back and and that's what the way I try to deal with emergencies and shifts and careers in emergency okay so you're saying like throwing yourself into the challenge is that is there a particular way that you view a challenge or an obstacle instead of sort of i don't know being overwhelmed by them or something like that if, if you asked me a year ago i couldn't have put this into into words um but you know i've always um i've always felt um intense satisfaction in being able to do really hard stuff uh and what I, I realized after doing a little bit of reading about stoicism um, and, and specifically a very simple book to read, but very profound was um, The Obstacle is the, the Way with, with Ryan Holiday uh, this year. Um, but the way of looking at those actual obstacles as the, as the, things, that, um, the things that make you, uh, the things that, um, you know, if, if you're... Um, building your career, the things that are hardest to deal with are the things that, um, you know, that, that actually uh, build the foundations of that career. And, and I wouldn't have been able to put that into words a year ago, but it always, it always struck me that the things that were the hardest for me to do the th- were the things that I got best at. And, and some of those things have been surgery, um, mechanical ventilation in the veterinary field. Um, but as, as simple as I, I did a year full-time in the army and I was hopeless at the start at climbing ropes. Mm. Couldn't climb ropes at all. Mm. Knew that I had to climb ropes to do it. So I, I went out the back of the, um, of the um, accommodation block every afternoon, put my pack on so I was carrying an extra 10 kilos and practiced climbing ropes. And, you know, at the end of the time in that, in that training platoon, I was the best in the platoon at, at climbing ropes. And I guess that's what I mean by you know, throwing yourself into those challenges wholeheartedly, but also, you know, at some level recognizing that the, the very things that seem impossible are the things that, um, the things that you remember, the things that you make a difference, that make a difference, and the things that, you know, are, are, I guess, foundations to who you are in the long run. Just, you just keep trying. What do you, what do you think would be, I don't know, the first point, the most important thing that you, that you, you do when it comes to actually, tackling a, a large big project because as a, as a visionary of the company you you know you're, you're tasked with sort of looking to the future and, and trying to direct and guide the, the the direction of of animal emergency service or animal emergency australia how do you you know you have this grand idea but then what what would how, how would you what advice would you offer listeners on, on, on how to tackle large projects or large challenges or seemingly impossible things. Oh, 
the the first the first rule comes um, flippantly into my brain. It's from one of those um, emergency medicine one hundred and one um, checklists. It's like take your own pulse. Yeah. Uh, don't panic when you're faced with something that looks looks overwhelming um, because because it's not. Uh, and then remember that if, you know if you accomplish you know one percent of something every day, which seems like a very small amount, it's only going to take you a hundred days to do it. Uh, so, you know, take your own pulse and, and break things down to very small, um, very small steps. Uh, Claire Sharp, uh, um, associate professor at, oh, she probably is full professor now at uh, Murdoch Uni in emergency medicine, uh, had, had this conversation with me. She's an extremely high achiever. And we talked about really big goals. And, and she said, you, you know, it was really true. Think about that big goal, but when it comes down to what you do every day, uh, just think about the small things that you're doing um, that will help you achieve that goal. You know, she's a, a teacher and a mentor and a lecturer. And so every day she's thinking about conducting herself in the, in the way that best, um, best fits those attributes you know when when she's having a, a conversation with a veterinary student um she's going to be trying to put the most she can into teaching that individual person and it's it is those tiny little elements that build the bigger picture repeated over hundreds and hundreds of days so you think it's something like and, I, and, I've, and I've read this numerous times before it's like you focus on them on the process but not the outcome the outcome's there, you know what the outcome is, but if you focus on the process and focus on taking small little steps, obviously the steps in the process and focusing on those one at a time, then you don't feel overwhelmed. You don't get daunted by the project, which may be, you know, climbing a thousand steps or building a building or something like that, or starting an emergency hospital or something. Or climbing a rope in the army. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, being the best climb, at climbing the rope in the army in the end. Climbing, climbing the rope in the army is quite easy because you can actually see the top of the rope, yeah. right? And you can you can define when you're up there. You know, you can touch the bar and then you then you get down, right? That that's pretty easy. But the the problem with with life in general and um and veterinary science is is you can't see the top of that bar, so yeah. you don't actually know. You know, you you set these ideas for yourself and and these dreams, but but in um, in working towards them, they often they often change, and they're, they're often similar to what you um, you you thought about at the start. But sometimes they're totally unrecognisable, you know. And I think that's you know, you don't you don't live that achievement, you know. You um, and and the rope is bad because it's really uncomfortable climbing the rope, right? But you spend a fair bit of time climbing the rope and one split second touching the bar. Yeah. And then, and then what do you do? You climb the damn rope again. And so in, in veterinary medicine, especially, you know, like that achieving fellowship, uh, took me, uh, about five years of the training program, two years of study. And there was intense fulfillment when I, when I got opened the letter that said I'd passed, um, lasted for about two to three hours. Uh Um, that I, that I still remember, right? You still, when you want to feel incredible, I, I take myself back to that morning, opening the um, the envelope with um, with Julia, the the woman who I'm, I'm fortunate enough to marry, 
um, we, we opened it together and it set our paths, right? And I, I still get butterflies in the tummy thinking about that. But, but the absolute um, fulfillment of that, of that process was those years of study, um, the work put into publishing papers um, and the incredible, um, you know, feeling of walking into the exam and, and trying to write, you know, constantly for four hours to, to get enough marks to pass, you know, yeah. it, it, it's absolutely the process rather than the outcome that, that makes, that makes or breaks things. And I, I read a, um, a book by, by Ray Dalio, uh, Ray Dalio's principles recently. And, and there's a thing that he says repeatedly in that book. Now Ray Dalio is a very, very successful yeah. investor, one of the wealthiest men in the world. And he, he says, reaching your goals, gives you very little satisfaction. He says, achieving success gives you nothing. It's, um, it's about struggling well. To quote him, he says, struggling well is the, is the secret to, to happiness in life. He says, life is going to be a struggle. Accept it and do it well. And then that's, that's, the, that's the secret there. And it sounds pretty much exactly like what, like what you're saying. So when you climb that rope, you may as well try and enjoy getting to the top because getting to the top is going to be disappointing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not, yeah, yeah. Well, isn't it that you think about it when you, you climb the rope and then what do you do? You try and climb a longer rope. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah, exactly. And, 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 and what we don't realize, yeah, until you sit down and reflect upon it is actually the bloody climbing of the rope is the, the fulfillment. Yeah, you know? yeah absolutely. Mm. Um, I'm going to go back to the start of your career again, talking about struggles and things that, that, that were, were difficult. Were there things at the start of your career that challenged you more than you anticipated things that things that surprised you how hard they were yeah there, there were um I, I remember the the i won't go through the whole of my first day um as a veterinarian um because it, it was a long day it was about 16 hours long hmm. but i remember i i drove out of the practice on an absolute high drove a couple of hundred meters down the road and had to stop the car and vomit out of the door um <laughs> because of the delayed the delayed cortisone and adrenaline rush that I've been putting off all day. And, um, and, and that really defined the, the first few years of my career is that there'd be intense highs, but then you started to realize, you know, that where, um, where I started to realize where I'd made errors when, when I had time to reflect and, and that would make me sick. And the, the biggest challenge for me as a vet is dealing with the uncertainty and I, I wish I could say that that goes away in time, mm. but I think you just get better at dealing with it. The, um, it, the low point was one night, uh, it was about 1am in the morning. There was only one nurse and me in the practice and I had an undiagnosed patient out in the, um, in the emergency room. And I sat down in the staff room with the five minute vet consult. Mm -hmm. And in, it, you know, in those days it was a textbook. I'm sure no one reads a textbook anymore, but mm. it's, it's got a, you know, it's got a condition on every page yeah. and it's about that thick. Yeah. And I started at A and I started leafing through this book and I thought this dog could have any condition in this book. How the hell am I ever going to make a diagnosis? Yeah. And, and that you, you kind of think, you think in those early years that as you learn more and as you put into place different strategies to diagnose, that you'll get rid of that uncertainty and you'll know you'll feel like you know what you're doing but that hasn't hasn't been my experience what i've found is that the problems that the problems just get more and more difficult you know the 
um, diagnosing the intestinal foreign body might become a little bit easier, but there's another problem that you, you have to deal with. And so in veterinary medicine, you're always working with uncertainty and you're always working with self-doubt mm. and being able to recognize that and deal with that has been um, key to me feeling like I, um, you know, sorry, key to me enjoying uh, working in the, in the field because I can now, you know, try and uh, understand when I've, when I've made clinical errors, but also uh, understand that that's an absolutely human, um, uh, human trait. And we're always going to um, have failures in treatment, failures in diagnosis, failures in client communication. There's absolutely no way around that. Mm. And you've got to live with them, learn from them, but not let them, um, not let them knock you down because otherwise it's going to be a horrible um, situation, you know, a horrible situation you're working in. If you set yourself up for perfection, maybe Hubert, mm. um, there's, it's, a, it's an impossible task. And, and recognizing that doubt and uncertainty and being able to work with it is, is probably the, uh, was a major turning point for me. Yeah, I think that's very valuable. I, I had a lecturer at uni who, when we touched on this point, and I think one of the students asked him how, how do you deal with that? And, and he said, look, if, you, if you, you've done your best, you've really tried your hardest, and you can go to bed at night and, and fall asleep without feeling guilty about, about willfully doing something wrong, he said, then, you, then you're doing well. And I often have to tell myself that as well, to go, look, you, you tried your best, um, just, just let it go. Yeah. That's a great friend of mine, Caitlin Logan, heard it from her professor in a very similar way. Um, Actually, no, it was her first boss. Uh, she had an intestinal anastomosis breakdown and she was crying about it. And he said, it's called a complication. What makes you so special that you're not going to get complications? Yeah. You know, yeah, this yeah. is part and parcel of doing the work. Yeah. And, and she said that that made a big difference for her. She, she realized, you know, complications occur through error, but error is inevitable. You're talking before, and, and I suppose this, just reflecting upon what you were saying there about perfection and complications and things, but what about the, the thought, or I suppose for me, I, I, I like to strive for perfection because it feels like as if I given as much as I can to a particular task or something like that. Having said that, I know that I probably get about 80 or 90% of what I actually wanted to get done, done, because I know that the other 10% will take me three times longer than what the 80% did or took. And then um, the actual impact of that extra 10% may actually not have any impact at all, apart from making me feel like as if I perfected something. But, but the idea of perfection, but then being okay with it, not being perfect somewhat, but ultimately being okay that you can fail and being okay with failure is is probably a bit more powerful, I suppose, to as as to not aiming for perfection and, and being scared to fail. Yeah, I I agree, and I'm across a little bit the way I put that because my you know my intent is to do the very best that I can. Um, but you you as you say, you've got to understand when you don't when you don't make it that that is. You know that is not. Um, don't let that ten percent define you. Hmm. Yeah. Going back to what you were saying before, 
Rob about struggling well and and um, you can't see the future. And I totally agree there. We were talking about um, as 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 a veterinarian or as a veterinary student, I had my my career all planned out, um, and actually it was um, working in a practice which had smallies and cattle and no horses, and that was the practice that I wanted to work at. And I visioned myself kind of driving around rolling green, green hills doing um, dairy calls and, and, and cattle calls and then coming back and doing smallies. And that was, that was my vision of, of, of my career. So you wanted to be James Harriet, basically. I, you know, I didn't read any of his books, <laughs> this guy. So all the way through uni, people were like, you should read his books. And I was just like, who is this guy? And <laughs> okay. I read them when I finished, when I was doing emergency. And I was like, oh, okay. I can see why I should have read that book. Um, <laughs> Sorry to but, then, but then I found myself in small animal practice and and then I found myself after that in emergency and then my career in emergency and thanks to you and giving me the space to room and grow, um, as, as, as taking me down different, different pathways. Um, but I totally agree there that it will change and it totally does change. What, what do you think I suppose would be the, the key ingredient there knowing now, or I suppose, um, having heard that advice and from numerous people that you as, as veterinary students, your future is, is not certain and it will change. Well, like what, what advice do you feel that you actually could provide a student um, with that in mind now? Geez, that's, di- that's difficult, Gerardo. Because uh, <laughs> I, I realise I, I um, getting in here, you've got such a chance of um, two things. One of um, preaching to people and the other one of hypocrisy, right? Because I've made so many stuff ups and I'm sitting here this morning feeling you know, looking back on the, on the 17 years and, and thinking, geez, that, that so far so good. Whereas, um, the other night on, um, on new year's Eve, uh, I think I made an error of diagnosis on a patient and felt, um, you know, felt down in the dumps and like, you know, what, what do I do? And so the, the advice, I, I, I guess the advice is fraught with difficulty. Um, but, but that is just don't, don't give up. You know, uh, and, I, and I think that, that that sounds really simplistic, uh, but you know, there there's um, there's not um, there, you know, there's so many things that you can you can do in life. But as uh, Hubert said before, they're all going to be struggles. Mm. Right? So so there's actually it's a complete myth that there's some easy way out there, and the more you put into something, the more you'll, you'll get out of it. And that's been my experience of, of veterinary medicine is you, you keep trying, you develop a, a, an area of expertise um, and, and don't give up on the really difficult days. Yeah. The, uh, to, what do you, to, what to, do you think? Oh, can I, oh, cause Gerardo's thinking there. Sorry. Oh, it, <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it's painful for him because he's an emergency vet, but oh, you know. I've I've come to the feeling that that because like, I, yeah, I get I I, you know, I get asked all the time, what do you do next? Where are you going to be? What's your plans for five years and ten years? And the people I that I coach, and it's it's about setting goals and and having sort of clarity around moving forward. And I feel that clarity is really important, but then at the same time, I feel that you have to be malleable. You have to be open to change, open to your pathway changing 
and, and, and changing um, according to sort of um, how you feel and, and, and what, you know, what opportunities and doors open from, from as, as you learn, as you grow, you develop skills, doors open that you never thought could open. So ultimately I'm, at, I'm, I'm my perspective at, the, at this stage is that having values or ways that you want to be yourself in everyday life, whatever that is, right. And then working towards a couple of key goals, which don't always have to be professional. They could be um, financially based. Um, you know, you want to provide support for your family. You want to travel the world or something. And then being open to where this career, because it can change a lot, being open to where it leads and, and not being sort of so rigid as to the, the picture of, of what you thought it would be, because it, it just changes all the time. And, you yourself as you grow and as you learn and you become more confident with things will take on different challenges. I, I feel that as, as to, to provide the advice, any advice I provide to vet students is really just to have something to start with. Mm-hmm. Just, just focus on, you know, if you, if you like a smallies or smallies, then just focus on, on getting into, into smallies and then have your particular focus on just being the best person you can be for that. And if it changes, it changes. If you find you don't like smallies, you want to do largies, then go do largies. Like, like, so I've kind of let go of the whole planning more than maybe two years in advance. Now I, I know what I want in life, but I, but I, but I totally feel that the pathway can change whichever way it can and, and, and will change. And once I've accepted that, I actually feel a lot more comfortable stepping into that unknown uncertainty because that's where door, new doors will be found and and doors will be open so i don't know that's my kind my kind of thought at the moment of it absolutely i think that the reason we we want to discuss it is is that feeling that um well, we did a bit of research rob and to prep to prepare for this podcast to find out what what people are worried about what young vets and vet students are concerned about and there's 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 a very much concern and i mean i can remember the same so you get that degree you get to the top of the of the first rope and then then now what? And they and they look at their role models and they look at people such as yourself or Gerardo and um, who, um, and you feel well, how the hell am I ever going to get there? Because that's so far away. And and I think I think the so what we're trying to get to is, do you choose that path? Is that a is that a preset goal? Did Rob Webster, the student, have any of this in mind when he started working, or was it just how how do you? How do you set that pathway? How do you how do you start on on that journey? Um, and you know, now like I, I, I again, I want to avoid um, hypocrisy or um, or, or also um, giving advice to a vet student now, which is the advice that I'd give to myself, mm-hmm. because you know we, we I, I we have you know Gerardo's talked about the path changing. Uh, I've talked about the behavioural aspects that. Claire Sharp brought up with me is that, you know, be that person that is the expert lecturer, be that person that's the CEO of the very successful business um, and the answers present themselves. But, you know, when I graduated in 2001, I sat down on the 2nd of May. Sorry, I go back to that first year. Um, I graduated from university with a with a strong motivation to to make some money because my parents had fought about um, it was the only things my parents fought about when I was growing up was a lack of money because yeah. we had none and 
So I had this idea. It, it never even manifest itself while I was a vet student. I just did the, the best I could from fourth year on, from first to third year, complete drunken blur. I can't remember it. Um, but but fourth and fifth year, I worked hard as a vet student, but I graduated and, and felt that right now my responsibility was to, to make some money. And um, it took me two months to realize that you don't make money uh, earning a salary and spending it all. And I read a lot of books after that. Um, the Rich Dad, Poor Dad series um, and Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, I think were the two um, major groups that I read at that time. And I, I then sat down in uh, after six months after graduation and wrote a set of goals. And I wrote down five-year goals, 10-year goals and 20-year goals. And although we're talking now about don't set your pathway completely, uh, just about every one of the goals that I set on that day um, back in June uh, 2001 came through, you know, and, and the, the five-year goals were simple ones. I said, I would like to get my membership in this field. I already knew I loved the field. Okay. Um, 10-year goals were more nefarious, but I, um, I knew that if I was going to accumulate any, any um, finances at that stage, I'd need to own a business. So I'd need to buy property. And so I wrote down that I wanted to own property and own a business and have um, I think I wrote down $2 million of capital because I back calculated that that amount would enable me to retire. And then I, I had no idea, but I thought maybe at some stage I'd want kids. So I wrote down that in 15 years, I'd like to be living with jewels where I choose with children. And, um, you know, and, and I, I, at that stage I thought if I couldn't become a specialist vet, I might become a, a human medicine doctor. And so I said either a specialist vet or a doctor. And I wrote those goals down, put them in the, um, in the filing cabinet. And it was only oh, a couple of years ago that I pulled them out. And they, the ones that had gelled with me, the ones that, had, um, that were important in my future had all, had all happened. Um, and I think it was, you know, the power, of, the power of psychology they talk about. You know, I didn't have to look at them again to know they were there. Yeah. Uh, but... You know, even though we're not talking about setting things in, in place for the long term, the power of writing down what I wanted back in 2001 um, really um, tailored, I guess. There was always something that I was working towards. Yeah. And now, you know, what I want though, you know, that's changed completely. Like when I wrote those goals, mm -hmm. I thought best thing would be to retire when you're 40. Now I realize that you retire when you're 40, you've got nothing left. You know, yeah. what, are you, what are you going to do? You know, uh, six months might be great to go traveling. 12 months might be great to go traveling. Five years might be great to go traveling. But the actual thing that gives you fulfillment and makes you feel um, like you are um, doing something worthwhile, that, that's that awful thing called work that you show up to every day. You know, and so, and so now I'm like, I got no intention of ever really retiring, just changing the pursuit of of what's you know what what brings me fulfillment over time so yeah long rambling talk but don't be afraid to set some goals do you, you need to move towards something i, I think what uh, so what gerardo said as well you've got to pick a goal you've got to you need to move forward uh, so pick something to move towards and then but keep your mind open as to where which direction that journey takes I think would be a, maybe a nice way of summarizing it, Gerardo. Do you agree? Mm. Yeah, no, it's really good. 
I, you know, I just feel, I feel that people, especially students, because they get asked this all the time, um, they kind of want to know what they should do. Mm. And it's, and it, that varies. You can't really answer that because you, they have different interests. They have different strengths. They have different areas of gel with them more than other areas. And essentially what like, you know, like they should have goals exactly what Rob's saying is these, these kind of life goals. But then what I feel is that their, their career, especially veterinary science can be, can just go different ways, whichever way they really want it to go. That, if they get too fixed on, on, on a particular pathway, it can actually be quite constraining or they might, unless the particular pathway is the key to their actual long-term goal. But um, I, I feel they just got to pick something, especially when they, when they're heading out, when they, when you're about to graduate, just pick a job, find a, like don't just pick any job. You know, we've got a set of criteria to look for there, but just have somewhere to go and just start. Just start and then being open to where it goes. And just as long as that pathway, whichever pathway you take, leads you towards the goals that you have, the larger goals in life, then that's, you know, that's the the, the simplest and easiest advice would be just to start somewhere. Yep. Absolutely. Hubert, I was going to ask Rob some questions about uh, fellowship um, study and stuff like that. Did you have anything in mind for that? No, you you go ahead, please, mate. For those that are interested in or considering doing specialty, what 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 made you? What helped you in terms of your decision making process towards taking the plunge and actually deciding, bam, I'm going to do this. I'm going to dedicate five years, seven years to to heading down this pathway. Was there anything that kind of helped you out there? Or was it still the start the process and roll with it? What, what, what was your thoughts there? it was it was for me it was really um just the next step at um becoming more expert in the field that i chose you know i I loved emergency medicine uh and i wanted to do it better and better that was you know that uh, and after membership um the opportunity to do a training program came up it was a quite a difficult training program and i'll be forever grateful to dr terry king for setting it up with professor steve haskins where steve came over and taught us for um three to four months at a time but really there, there was two two sides to the decision one was just the the pure uh, opportunity to get better at something that i love doing but the other was the business decision because i started my fellowship after we bought the first practice the animal emergency service between simon and myself and i knew that in the long term if we were truly going to uh, create the future of emergency medicine and critical care we had to have a specialist and i thought well i better go and learn this and become a specialist so so they were the two two sides to the decision one being a business decision and one being a um just a, a kind of a thirst for knowledge and how did you like did you have any particular things that helped you with regards to when you were studying like you know like you would have spent years and years of study so you would have spent years and years of time studying surely you would have kind of fine-tuned that process and and 
figured out, I suppose, some of the more powerful tools or tips that, um, that helped you with, with, yeah, if the, so my, my one study tip, um, which I, which I say ad nauseum came from my, um, my experience as a vet student where I, I didn't know a great deal as a vet student. And so a lot of the reason after my exams came down to exam technique. And so what I do is in swap back, I just do all of the past exams and it was only during fellowship that I realized what a powerful technique that was because answering questions practices getting you in the mindset for sitting an exam summering notes doesn't get you into the mindset for sitting an exam reading papers doesn't get you in the mindset for sitting an exam none of those things practice the display of knowledge and thought and doing that is the most powerful thing i've ever found so so what i would do say i had to summarize a paper i'd, I'd read the paper and then i would imagine the sort of exam questions that would come out of that paper. It didn't, didn't matter if they were, you know, totally irrelevant would never be used in exam, but then I'd sit down and I'd, I'd write answers to those questions that I'd formulated in my head. And so the, you know, during the um, training progress process, I did a lot of training. I did a lot of question and answer with uh, Steve Haskins and the, and the training group, but I sat down for five months of swap back before the exams and read and answered questions for those five months and and that's what got me through was that when i when i sat down uh with the um exam papers they were four hour exam papers i had calluses all over my fingers from writing so much because i'd been i'd been doing nothing but practicing writing exams for four months and set me in good set ed wow that's cool Rob, I had a I had a question on the list here that I think will maybe maybe tie in with this. Um, the question is, what have you spent time and money money on during your career that's been the most worthwhile? Was it that uh, it sounds like it was the specialising, or, uh, or was there something else that 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 no. you that you would put a, put ahead of that? No, the the best time of my career is the time when I decided to get off the couch and do physical training so there's uh, if i really had to i and and sometimes i'd be late for the tutorials when we were doing the the study and i would in my mind i'd think well if i didn't go to the if i didn't find the gym i was going to kill myself you know i i used to be sorry not not literally but i was going to die from heart attack or um obesity you know i i didn't used to pay attention to diet and i didn't see the need for physical exercise and now i do it every single day and and i'm sure that that investment's given me more than anything else that i've done in my career brilliant what what exercise do you do what's your what's Uh, your poison of choice (laughs) (laughs) Uh, oh it's weight training uh because weight training is something that can be done really quickly Mm -hmm. and it's still the exact challenge and, and I do it in the mornings now and I, um, I love the, the it, it gives me a hell of a lot of confidence going into the day, knowing that I've already challenged myself with something that's almost impossible, like almost impossible for me. You know, that, that's mm. the thing about weights. There's no point lifting weights that you can lift. You've always got to lift a weight that you, um, that you can't lift and you always find that you can't do it, you know? So, you can go into every day with a little bit more confidence, but 
the actual type of training has changed a lot. You know, I, I sometimes in the, in the past I've done running. Um, Gerardo and myself and a, and a colleague, uh, Dr. Alex Hines, did the Kokoda Challenge, a 100k run uh, two years ago, and and that that took a hell of a lot of preparation. But it was all the same thing. It's you know helping you um, helping your body perform more, and there are, there are definite links between um, physical performance and um, and mental and psychological fitness. Yeah. And I, I, I every um, every year I see more of that rather than less of that. Mm. We often forget about those things that, that are, that we do outside, which, um, impact us greatly in our careers. We always think about the things that we can do with regards to learning and study and so forth, but it's part of the whole, um, whole body wellbeing or, or, or just, just that, you know, it, it's, it's mind and body. What, what is your thoughts around? having like a because I, Alex talks about this as well and she she and she likes the idea of having one physical challenge one overwhelming physical challenge per year to sort of keep you know ha- have a goal for yourself or something that's going to make you strive to to push harder or something like that if you you know like I for me I would just train and train multiple times a day uh, multiple times a week but then when, when I heard this concept of, especially when we ran the Kokoda Challenge, that was just an incredibly painful feat. Um, but then it really highlighted to me that actually having this, the idea of this one challenge per year what could actually be the motivation or the inspiration to, to, to keep training. What, what do you think there? I, I, I like it, but I, I think it'll, it'll vary the challenge that you, that you choose, you know, um, it's, it's important always to have a challenge. So, you know, at, at the moment I'm, I'm, tra- you know, training, um, with, with weights and, um, just two of the challenges that I'm, I'm working on, uh, um, one is to, you know, to get up to doing 20 loaded dips. And another one is doing a hundred burpees in a row in less than eight minutes. You know, they're, they're like, <laughs> so, so, you know, they're, they're smaller challenges than the Kokoda, right? But in your mind, you're always challenging yourself. And, mm. and I think, I think that, that, that continually trying to do better than you did yesterday is really important. Yeah. And I think a big goal like Kokoda can focus you, um, but to be completely honest, I'm scared of doing that goal every year. You know, that's, yeah. that was huge. And, yeah. I, and I think when it comes around, it's really valuable. Mm. Mm. hundred, like a okay, hundred burpees in a row in eight minutes. That's, that's a challenge that will take months and months to get to that yeah. point. So it sounds like it's only eight minutes of pain, but that's an eight minute, that's eight months of training and whatever and stuff to get to that point. So Depending yeah, on what you're not, starting, I'm not so sure about the logic of this. <laughs> 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 I, I, like, I, I enjoy exercise, but I don't. Um, I don't we talk about suffering well, but I, I don't think you need to suffer excessively. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rob's really good at suffering, especially he, he takes Please, suffering really well. That—that's <laughs> the description of my my training. Really, is suffering well. It's um, oh. I love it. Oh yeah, that's interesting. Gerardo, are you, have you got more questions at the, at the moment? No, no. I th- would you, would you, do you think there's any other areas that we should explore with regards to Rob's fellowship training? So we no. talked about, um, you know, how he studied. We talked about 
kind of his his decision making process in terms of electing to do that you know it was, it was based on on wanting to become an expert and also was one of the stepping stones with regards to progressing in his long-term goals um we also talked about sort of how exercise and things was really important for him um what else what other areas do you reckon we explore with regards i suppose to- if we this is purely from a from a personal curiosity thing um but i think i've touched on it with Rob before so the, the decision to specialize it's something that 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 i've considered in the in the in the in the past um but you had very defined reasons to do it i suppose my question is 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 it worth it is it worth is it worthwhile yeah. or, or is it always worthwhile because my my reasoning i'll often get stuck in a in a in a thought loop with it to go yeah it would be great to know more and um uh, and it's as, as you say to to be at the at the pinnacle of of your field is that would be a, would be a lovely thing but then but then again i look at at the impact that it will have on on your personal life and the time sacrifice the time that you could spend on on every day moving forward um and i i have up to now i haven't i've been able to justify to go i'm not sure if the investment of time is going to pay off and i don't mean just financially i'd be interested to to hear your thoughts on that i I definitely agree with you hubert it's um it's not a necessary stepping stone in everyone's career and sometimes it's uh, um, sometimes I'm, I'm sure it, it doesn't work out for people the way they envisage at the start. For me, it, it was really uh, above all the business decision. You yeah. know, we we'd started that business, and we were, um, you know, we, we Simon and I said, you know, what what's our vision? We're we're going to create the future of emergency medicine, critical care, and you just can't do that without being, without having expertise in yeah. the field, and yeah. so it was absolutely aligned with our goals. But what I have seen from other colleagues that have done fellowship training is, and, and the things that I can tell you that it's not, one, it's, it's not the ticket to a, um, a free financial future. Yeah. You know, um, it, it's, there, are, there are much better ways to improve your remuneration as a veterinarian mm-hmm. rather than doing, um, doing a fellowship training program. And, that that would be my my first point is that if you um, go into fellowship training expecting that it is going to be the last difficult thing that you do, it, it's it's a complete misconception. Uh, once you finish as a specialist, exactly the same pressures will apply to you that apply to you before you do the specialty. You'll still have pressure for your time. You'll still have pressure on veterinary productivity. And if anything, the demands from your employer are going to increase. And so it's, it, if, if your primary interest or a motivation is, is remuneration and, and say financial freedom, mm. go and read about business, go and read about investment um, and educate, educate yourself in, along those lines. You know, you, you need to, imp- in, in a very simple statement, you need to, if, if financial reward is what you're after, you need to, increase the level of service that you offer mm. and one of those things might be um might be becoming a specialist but if you imagine you know if, if you become a specialist you can only service so many clients if you 
own a three vet general practice, mm. you can offer a hell of a lot more service to, to, to clients than you can as a, as a single specialist. So, you know, there, it's not the greatest pathway to financial reward. Uh, and the other thing is, it's not if you're a vet that does overnight shifts and you say in my own field, emergency medicine, and you um, go away to do a emergency medicine and critical care residency, thinking that you'll get to work during the day and it'll be much easier. Mm. That's just not the case. You know, work's going to get harder, not easier. So, so th yeah. those are the thing that fellowship is not. Yep. Hmm. Um, um, would, would have it's, it's not. It's not going to make anything easier, and it's not going to be the best way forward financially either. As you said before at the start of the podcast, that the challenges that you face are kind of matching the challenges that, well, sorry, they, they kind of match the skills and the knowledge that you have. So it's, they agree there that, that sometimes knowing more stuff, more knowledge um, is, is useful and powerful and, and, and helps you feel confident and comfortable. Um, but then, then you are tasked with dealing with the management of that you know, you use the example of a, a, a an intestinal perforation, like sort of foreign body surgery. A veterinarian can do that foreign body surgery, and then it breaks down. Then you're tasked with the management of a septic patient, and then you're tasked with the management of a septic patient that's in refractory hypotension. Um, that is, you know, in, in in the process of 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 slowly checking out. So um, the challenges that you'd be tasked with. Um, with the knowledge that you have um, will be greater as well, I suppose, too. And that's, I suppose, that's the reason why you do it. And, and, and it's probably the, 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 the outcome of, of learning more and, 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 and being more capable is that you are tasked with, with more challenging and difficult situations. Yeah, you're right. I, uh, you, especially as a young vet, you, um, I always imagine that the, the more, you, the more you study, the easier it will get because uh, you'll know everything and then the, yeah. but then the longer you're in the game the more you realize that that's a that's never going to happen there's no such thing as knowing everything and being capable in every situation yeah um, all right we, we should we start with a few of the shorter questions you only got one here man yeah well they, we've you've talked about books rob you've, you've mentioned um the obstacle is the way it's a great book um have you got any other winners any anything else that that I need to read? Um, I, I was thinking about the books. I, I just love reading and I do it everything from just relaxing, which is the, you know, the simple page turners yeah. um, to, to really looking at, at lessons for life. And, and really I, I've read a lot of self-improvement over the years. And, and I go back to um, Stephen Covey's seven habits of highly effective people. I think it is, um, is, is that embodied for me? seven ways to, to think about what you're doing that, that makes it much more, um, you know, it help, helps you line up what you're doing with those goals that you set for yourself. And, and I found that book um, very profound and I still remember the seven habits off my heart. Don't always apply them, um, but, but definitely um, remember them. Um, and, you know, when we're talking about finances, yeah. Um, the, that other series that I read right at the start was, um, Napoleon Hill, think and grow rich, which I didn't really understand. 
and the Rich Dad Poor Dad series. Yep. Uh, but but I think I want, want to stress to anyone that's still listening now. Um, I read those books in about 2001, and we bought a vet practice in 2005. So you know you apply, you you read things, and they give you a bit of a pathway. But you're not going to go and um, set it. Uh, all in motion and make it happen right then you know things take take a lot of time and you know all you can do is is you know, make those incremental improvements each day to to get you to that goal so so don't expect things to happen overnight because nothing does yeah absolutely all righty um favorite quotes i didn't put that on your list there you've, uh, you've mentioned you've mentioned one or two already i i like your I've heard your one before about uh, when death is the alternative, there are no rules. Have you got any other ones that 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 help you through the day? Yeah, I what I do, I don't I don't know if they help me, but I write them all down. Yeah. Um, and I, Gerardo, I, I've got to um, give credit to one quote that I um that I I remember a lot. Um, that I, I'm sure it's come from other people, but my colleague John Sarash, who um. John Sarash, um, I work with in emergencies at the moment. He's doing a um, a um, residency in surgery, but he, um, I was I was talking to him at some stage when a, a, a mutual friend was doing one of these twelve week body challenges, yeah. and I'm like, you know, what what do you think of these twelve week challenges, John? He's a man of few words, and he's like, got to live the challenge. Got to live the challenge. And, to live the challenge and so what i do is i i write down anyone's quotes that i think is really worthwhile and um john sarash live the challenge is um it was, was really quite profound but um who else let me i'll give you one other one that's in here um give me one second do you keep them stored on your on your phone or your computer or where yeah say, just, just on the phone yeah in yeah, one spot yeah. so i can write them down yeah um where are we? Oh, yeah, I'll go back to the one, Gerardo, we were talking about this the other day. Um, Ralph Waldo Emerson, um, the great uh, American philosopher mm-hmm. and essayist, um, that says, um, and probably a good way to finish, sow a thought, reap an action, sow an action, reap a habit, sow a habit, reap a character, sow a character and reap a destiny. Ralph Waldo Emerson, the things we the small things we focus on become our, become our lives. And I think, I think that's very profound and, um, you know, n- not a bad way to, to finish off in a discussion about careers and veterinary science. Can you read that again, please? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, no worries. So, sow a thought mm-hmm. and, and reap an action. Mm-hmm. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character sow a character and reap a destiny yeah that is that's profound yeah it's and and it was written i think in about 18 1880 1870 so so a long you know a long time ago but i guess the the, the truths that we live by were all uncovered a long time ago it's just it takes you your whole lifetime to figure them out and by the time you figured it all out you know the the travesty of our existence is who listens to old people you know, those, you know, it's, it's yeah. so horrible. Those, those old people, by the time you're 80, you've, you've got it all figured out. No one listens to Nobody you. Yes. <laughs> it's like, that's, oh. that's, um, 
that's it. But anyway, that that's uh, and and I, I read Ralph Waldbermas and he, he wrote an essay called Self Reliance that Barack Obama um, uh, says is one of the most profound things he's read. And uh, after reading the essay, it's it's pretty hard going. Uh, it's been rewritten in so many forms by so many other authors uh, in the in the um, field of kind of self-help or self-improvement in the in the in the 20th century mm-hmm. but it's probably the first the first time some of these thoughts were put into um uh put onto paper and it, it's really quite um quite an interesting read if you can persist with it all oh, right absolutely i think you're right i think that is a great spot to wrap up Gerardo. yeah that was awesome good job I think Thanks, that's. I, th- I think that's it. That was. That was really okay. good. I'm, I'm Thanks, go. guys. I've, I've learned a lot from that. Thank you so much for your time, Rob. Gerardo, always a pleasure to hang out with you. You too. Cheers. Have a lovely day. <laughs> See you See later, you. guys. Talk Bye. soon. Okay. If you're still listening, it means you're really committed to improving. So here are some of the things that we've taken from our chat with Rob. Think about a few major life goals for your career or your personal stuff. We're thinking or talking big picture stuff. Write them down somewhere, we won't lose them. Now, take a first step. One step in any direction, but a direction forward. Do a bit of research, send a few emails, make a phone call or two, book a course, buy a book, listen to a podcast, whatever it is, just take action, take that first step forward. If you don't have a regular routine for some sort of physical activity already, grab your diary or your phone, then go to wherever you set your reminders or have your to-do list and block off some time now to do something physical. Decide now what it is that you want to do and write it down, something like go for a walk or cycle to the shops. Now, do the same for every day for the next two weeks. If you don't schedule time for it, chances are you won't do it. Is it something that you'd like to do or are trying to do, but you're feeling like you're failing at it? Think about the effort you're putting into it. Are you really giving it 100% of your available effort? Is there something more that you could do? What What could you do today that can move you closer to your goal? Once you've done all this, go phone your mum. So that's it. It might sound like you don't have much to do this time, but step one might not be quite as easy as it sounds. So get busy and go smash it. Before you start, head to the iTunes store and give us some feedback. We'd love to know how we're doing. And if you loved it, go tell at least three of your friends to give us a go. 